Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sober Grind Podcast. I'm here today. My name is Pej, and I'm with Austin Armstrong. Hello, everyone. So happy to be here. <laughs> Episode 7. Episode 7. And what today's topic is addiction in families? Yes. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Does that even happen? Is there addiction in families? Well, we're going to find out. All right, we're going to find <laughs> out. <laughs> so, Pej, in your opinion, is it common to see... Uh, multiple people abuse substances in a family? Is it common? I mean, you know, I see so many different families and, and um, there's addiction in many families. Sometimes it's just one sibling or one mm-hmm. parent. Um, sometimes, yes, I, I've I've seen people come to treatment in pairs. <laughs> you mm. know, sometimes brothers and wow. uh, sometimes, brothers, you know, sisters or brothers, sometimes brothers. in couples. Uh, yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. So addiction... You know, obviously, some of the people that are in our families could be major influences for us, and sometimes they can be good influences, and sometimes they can be bad. So, sure, if my big brother was using drugs and uh, and I look up to him, then you know I would probably follow suit. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's it can be common. Yeah, not in all families. There's a lot of families where um, it's just one particular person, and everybody else is like dealing with that one particular person's addiction or alcoholism. Gotcha. What yeah. What about uh, like a parent and child perspective. So have you ever seen like a mother, daughter, father, son, or any variation there uh, used together um, and even take it to that next level that maybe they become addicts together? Mm. Yeah. What, I mean, yeah, what's your opinion? Sadly, I have, you know, mm. uh, there's, there's a few things you, you have to understand when it comes to obviously using and drinking, a lot of people don't perceive drinking as um, using drugs, even mm. though you know, alcohol is to, is a drug okay it's a substance and so let's say for example there's a mother and her daughter is you know whether she's of the drinking age or not of the drinking age they may have a glass of chablis or just drink together or something you know some mm-hmm. wine so that in a sense can be seen as using together but sure. it's also in, in a social event it's just something that people do socially so you know i don't really see that as, as a major problem if they're not alcoholics and they're just having a drink or two or three together at a party, for example. But um, when it comes to using hard drugs, I mean, it's it's not that common that I have seen a lot of parents using with their kids, but I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And and I've seen it, but there was a woman who was in treatment with shortly after me in the same treatment center as me who she never really wanted to get well. She was a great lady. She had a good personality. She always tried, but for some reason, recovery, she did not embrace recovery. And then down the line, fast forward about nine years later, the same little girl that used to come visit her in treatment with the, with the father um, had grown up and gone to the same treatment center. Mm. And it turns out that they were shooting meth together. Wow. It's very, very sad and scary. Yeah. And to think that, it, um, you know, I think misery loves company. And I think at a certain point, the mother um, may have... Uh, been such a great influence for the daughter, not a great influence, a very negative wow. influence for the Powerful daughter. Powerful influence. To, to the point where the daughter, you know, she knew no other way. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's sad. There was also, I remember when I was growing up, uh, we had a neighbor whose dad was, uh, he, he was, okay, so basically there was, he was the dad that would allow us to use drugs and alcohol in their house. And he lived right across the street from us, so it was very convenient for us that we're all experimenting and having fun gotcha. to go over there. And so we would smoke pot with his dad. We would we would do all kinds of things. We, we yeah. I remember we we would do meth with his dad. We would do wow. cocaine with his dad, and, and um, um, 
there's a lot to be said about that. There's there's a reason I think that a parent would um, take it to that extreme and be okay with the fact that they're using drugs um, or alcohol with their kid. Um, I think it's very psychological. Mm. I think that perhaps sometimes there may be something deeper going on with the dad to mm. where they just dis- disregard the fact that this is my kid and they, they have more of like a, a f- they want to be like a friend to the kid. Some, yeah. Sometimes they have this absurd uh, mentality where they think, well, at least if they're just using in the house, they're not using out in the streets and they won't be. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, in danger. I, we kind of talked about this in a, in a previous uh, um, podcast episode, but mm-hmm. uh, I'd seen a lot of this growing up too, mostly uh, with alcohol, right. um, some marijuana, mm-hmm. uh, never hard drugs for me personally, mm-hmm. but it does not surprise me that there are cases like that. Right. And a lot of what we heard from from the parents is is exactly that. Right. That they'd rather they know that we're gonna do it, mm-hmm. but they'd rather uh, us do it in a safe spot. Right. In their in their home. I mean, even, even 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 growing up, the whole high school experience, the partying yeah. experience. I remember when I was a kid, the movie Risky Business came out with Tom Cruise, and it was like I looked, I watched that, and I was like, mm. wow, that's a high school party. Like I want to do that <laughs> so bad. So mm-hmm. before you knew it, when I was in my senior, my sophomore, junior, senior year, we were caravanning around. All of our friends were driving around looking for the party. Where's the high school party? Often we would show up to somebody's house whose parents were out of town and they were having a kegger and we were all drinking. Some people were smoking weed. Some people were doing other stuff in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Regardless, we were all getting loaded at these people's houses. Sometimes we'd show up to some people's houses and the parents would be there and greet us at the door. And I'd just think like, really? Like this guy's mom is okay? That's crazy. Sometimes the parents would buy the keg. You know, so so I think that they, they were of that mentality that, you know, at least they're not out uh, drinking and driving. They're kids, you know, like let them have a little bit of fun. We had fun when we were younger, so why can't they? So they would provide, you know, they were actually like, that's in a sense enabling very much, you know. Yeah, and, slippery and slope there. <laughs> slippery slope, but a lot of parents are okay with that, you know. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've heard a lot in the past about addicted family roles. So kind of the roles that people fit into when there's um, – one addict or, or maybe multiple addicts. Mm-hmm. So those those roles are the enabler, the hero, the scapegoat, the lost child, and the mascot. Mm-hmm. Can you go a little more in depth about what those are and what those roles kind of mean? Sure. So the this is from what I've learned. I mean, mm-hmm. I went to school for this stuff. So, so definitely I had it like when we talked about talking about this today I had to like recap and just make sure but but this is kind of like what I what I I remember when I was in school there was a lot of talk of ACA adult mm. children of alcoholics yeah. okay or addicts and um, there there were actually 12 step meetings for them too mm. and um and I remember learning about various roles, and then I and I based it off of my personal experience and seeing certain people how they fit into those categories and roles of those people. Mm-hmm. I remember there was like the mediator, the one that would like that would kind of be you know would would help the between the family members. He would help help that person, like the the sick mother who's an alcoholic, uh, be able to communicate. He would do all the communicating for them. He was like gotcha. be, between them to the family or to whoever else they needed to. And then there was the silent child, like the one that had no voice, basically. Mm. So then I learned, you know, and I, I learned all of these roles that you just named right now, and they all fell into that category as well. You know, the the enabler obviously can be anybody in the family. It doesn't just have to be the mother or the father. You know, have you ever heard the term helicopter mom? 
No, what does that mean? So like a helicopter mom, basically they are so used to raising their child by always making sure everything is put together. They kind of run the child's life. Mm. They want to make sure that the child is on the right path. But, but I've definitely seen that. It, it, can, it can also <laughs> cause addiction and, and alcoholism because mm. the kid ha- grows up wanting to be this perfect child in the right. eyes of their yeah, mother. So much, and when they can't be, they start, they start kind of regressing and going in the other way and, and using and drinking. And mm. they may go away to school or something like that. And then the mom fall, falls apart because they can't keep their eye on them. And mm-hmm. often we would have clients, so if, if we try to get them into treatment, they would be on the phone with us when I would, we used to work admissions. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the mom would just come and interject and say, no, 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 but you have to do it like this and you have to do it like that. She just wanted to like constantly, you know, and, and then the kid would never get well because the mom was enabling them to the point where they were just ke- keeping them under their roof and making sure that they were following their guidelines, even though they were still using and drinking in their own mother's house, right? Mm -hmm. So there's several different types of forms of enabling, you know. If you're basically um, harboring somebody in your house that's using and drinking and you're not letting them get well, you're not, you're always trying to fix them, that's that's a form of enabling. And then the the hero is basically uh, somebody who draws attention to, um, they, they draw attention they basically will draw attention to themselves so that the focus isn't on the addict Mm. and they'll come up with these you know they'll try to make themselves look really good within the family setting you know like to Mm. to, and sometimes it's imaginary it's just like they're they're making something up so that nobody's focusing on the addict that's what i learned the hero to be um the scape the scapegoat creates other problems they'll basically Mm. they'll they'll create other stuff and do other things to to make you not be looking at the addict alcoholic and then the last child is basically a child that ignores the problem you know they they i was recently doing a um an intervention and it was on a 24 year old young man who was totally defiant totally combative calling me every name in the book mom dad sister were there mom the sister was older she's at least 27 years old Kid went outside to go smoke, but he actually went to leave. Mom and dad yeah. are going at it in the living room, and, and they are—they wow. were divorced. But now, now that they've been around again, now they're going at it, and to the point where they were yelling at each other so much to where I told—I try to get in between it and tell him stop, stop. Like if he comes back and he hears this, I understand now why he doesn't care or he doesn't want to get well. Well, I looked at the sister in all of this; she wasn't losing her stuff. She had no emotion, no affect. She was just sitting there with a blank look on her face, as if she's seen this several times before. So it's just nothing normal, or uh, nothing out of the normal for her. Nothing. She was kind of ignoring wow. the whole thing. Yeah. I think that she was numb to it. She had mm. endured this experience so many times that I, I even said in that moment, I wanted to bring the focus on her. I stopped them both to a certain extent. It kept one would tell the other, "You you did this, you did that, you did this, a lot you of did ego that." Ego and play there. And, and I, I stopped them for a second. I said, "For one, I know why your kid is doing heroin. Now it's clear as day for me mm. why he. I mean, he wants to." just not deal with this, right? Mm. And for two, I give props to the young lady right here who's not saying anything. You know, uh, she she's basically handling herself quite well. She goes, yeah, I don't say anything and I don't go use over it, but look at my brother. He's dying, you know? So it was it was all bad. And then mascot is uh, a mascot is somebody who basically tries to ridicule or make humor out of the whole situation to, mm. to, to uh, 
not have you see the extent and reality of what's really going on. Just make make a joke out of it. And you know, they say that a lot of comedians come from dysfunctional homes. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're 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 jokers. They're basically um, not laughing at other people's expense, but they want to more for better sake of words, just uh, deflect from focusing on the reality of it by just being humorous because they know they don't know any other way uh, how to function they want to just basically laugh it off yeah a lot of people cope with um uncomfortable situations a lot laughing and humor a lot of times there was a lot of people that i've worked with in treatment where you're looking at them in a group and they should be crying or they should be showing like some kind of emotion they laugh or they smile or they smirk it's a coping mechanism right it's a coping defense coping mechanism for sure yep absolutely so in in your opinion, um, is there a sort of a, a best role to try and put yourself in? And what do you see as the most common role that people fall into, if any? Well, there's no – I don't think there's a common role. I think it varies per family. Okay. Um, depending on the upbringing, the the amount, what kind of events have happened in that family, mm. you know, there's a lot of sexual abuse and, and there's a lot of trauma mm-hmm. um, that we don't really know what's going on in that family function or family unit. So it'll vary from places, and, and I think that's why people fall into certain particular roles. It's it's like depending on like if your dad was a violent man, you may fall into one of these roles as opposed to if your dad was timid and never yelled or never raised his voice, but but had this anger that was just like within him, you know, mm-hmm. you may take on a whole different role depending, right? So I, I think it varies. I think it definitely varies. How can somebody uh, identify what role they're in? That depends, you know. Uh, like I said earlier, there's ACA, which is um, actual meetings for adult children of alcoholics and addicts mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, rage-aholics. So some people experience no alcoholism and no addiction in their homes, but they experience rage, which is just as bad. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have somebody that's always blowing their top and yelling and throwing things and using objects to... to uh, to throw at people in the house or whatever, you know, or, or they're, they're using their hands and, and hitting people in the house. Well, this is going to definitely make the lost child mm-hmm. be, become, you know, very numb to the whole situation and quiet and not have a voice and not talk and just kind of just check out. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's uh, a great segue or even kind of answers my next question mm-hmm. of if you're the child uh, and you grow up in a family that your um, father, mother is an addict or a rageaholic mm-hmm. or a, a drug user, right. w- where does that commonly take the child? Do you is it is it lost child? Is it where? Where do they typically develop? Or again, is it all over the place? It's all over the place. I mean, I've seen it uh, often. I've seen some kids that will, if you can't beat them, join them. They'll yeah. just use with them. You know, or they'll use themselves. They'll go off and do their addiction in their life on their terms and just because that's all they saw. Then I see some kids whose parents, I've seen kids whose parents were full-blown meth addicts Mm. and they wouldn't touch meth. Mm. They didn't want to have anything to do with it because they just saw, you know, what kind of damage it's done in their own home. They didn't want to even be around it. Mm -hmm. So they kind of just despise their parents. They Mm. despise the addiction and they've branched off and gone and done other things. Some kids get lost in the books. 
Mm. Some kids get lost in reading or education because they know that there's basically a big pink elephant in the room whenever they go into any room in their house. And the only way that they can kind of quiet their mind is to go into the books and engulf them. They become addicted to the books. They get lost in the books. Got it. Which also can be dangerous because down the line, other addictions can form out of that, depending. Mm. I mean, I've seen it. It sounds odd, but you think they would be smarter than that if they saw this in their household. But uh, many things can happen, not just addictions, but a lot of, um, you know, psychological, cognitive effects can happen. Things like, you know, depression. They'll they'll go through a lot of depression or a lot of um, anxiety, or they're ne- they're always on the, on edge. You know, they're not happy with the world because uh, who would be when you grew up in that type of environment? Um, like I said earlier, the mediator, the one who is trying to work between the parents, or or you know, th- there's diff- different types of roles. But growing up in that, how do you overcome things like that? Well, basically. Um, if you gain knowledge about what your role might be, there is help out there that can help you better work through it and identify how to overcome this overbearing sense of, you know, sadness or pain that you endure in that type of environment. So how would you best identify what role you're in? Is that through through therapy, through just um, yeah, it'll happen self-analyzing? Often. often if somebody just, you know, ends up in therapy, mm-hmm. the therapist knows... Uh, a good therapist would know, could identify just by listening to you and your experiences what role and category you fall into. And then obviously they have different tools and techniques mm-hmm. on how to work through your personal issues that you've been carrying around as a result of a dysfunctional home. Got it. And I say a lot of this stuff from experience. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your experience. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, hypothetical situation. Mm-hmm. You have, um, unfortunately, a mother, father, son, daughter, uh-huh. all addicts. Right. Can you, can you do a family intervention for all of them, and how would that even work? Well, I mean, and that depends. If you have all four people in this family unit that are addicted, depending on who wants to bring on the intervention. For example, mm. if it's a grandparents, I mm-hmm. think that this would take some serious planning. I mean, it's a hypothetical question. Sure, so yeah. um, it would take some serious planning. We would have to know the history of the family. Um, how long has addiction been running rampant in their lives? Was it a newer thing that happened over the years due to family struggles or economical struggles or you know in, economical insecurities and things like that? Or has this been going on a long time? Did this happen in to the parents as they were growing up were their parents using so it depends on who wants to actually bring on the intervention and what their intention is of helping this family it could be on a uh, each person basis where you intervene on each person and you know who knows maybe I don't know I, I, I've never had such a situation but it would be interesting like how would you intervene on an entire family because I think the problem with that is that you may have different people uh, reacting in different ways Yeah. perhaps the parents may have that guilt and shame that they've been carrying around and, and numbing out due to their addiction, but maybe the kids don't know any better because they re- never really had responsibilities. Do you think it would be um, easier to have them all in one intervention together or do it separately? I think separately would be better. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, again, you'd have to know the family's history yeah. and see what what's really going on with this family. I mean, that's pretty crazy if, if all four of them are, are using and drinking, not to say I wouldn't discount that from not happening. It happens. It happens a lot. Mm. I mean, when I say, when you asked me commonly earlier, no, not every house on the block, you know, in America 
has um, the whole family unit or a couple of people in the house using apart or together. But it does in in some areas, just not all that commonly. So, and that's probably a good thing. Yeah, we need somebody in the, in the house to just be a codependent to uh, to identify the problem and seek the help. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that was incredible, Pej. Thank you so much. That thank was you. awesome. If you need an intervention, call this man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So incredible. Um, that's a wrap on uh, episode seven of the Sober Grind. Thanks. Unless you have uh, any other aspects on addiction and no, families that you'd like to, to bring be, up, be alongside you again. Yeah, in our Sober Grind podcast. And do you want me to talk about it, or do you want to talk about it? I think you should. So also, you know, uh, we have our Facebook. We do a live stream every week. I'm on there a lot. Dr. Bob Weathers is on there. I believe Tarek is on there too. Well, Tarek will be soon, yeah. this We're all in affiliation with Beginnings Treatment Centers. That's where uh, I work, where Austin works. And we uh, also have another page on Facebook. If you go up in that little bar at the top and type in Ask an Addiction Specialist, we have an amazing group there where if you, you can ask any questions in relation to addiction. We have professionals. We have people that are in recovery that are you know usually always readily available to answer your questions. Um, you can ask anything there. You can just come and be part of the group, and you can even answer questions if, if you would like. Yeah, I want to add in there, too. It is a completely private group, too. So if there's anything that you feel a little uncomfortable talking about, know that it's uh, only people that are in the group can see the posts. So hopefully that helps you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you again. Um, Remember to write a review. Yes. And tell your friends about this. Spread the word. Sober grind. It's a big deal. We really want to get the word out that people are staying sober. People have good lives. We're always in the solution. We don't like to focus on the problem, but we don't like to disregard it and and pretend like it's not there. So talk about it. Let us know. Write a review. Tell us what we're doing. Right, wrong, anything. We want to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you so much. See you next time. See ya.